Hey, you found us. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast. I'm Ben Glicksman alongside my tag team partner, Matt Story. And if I sound like I was at a wedding last night and lost my voice, you'd be right. Matt, <laughs> Matt the other thing that happened last night that more people probably care about than the wedding I was at was uh, we finally had the money belt decided as if it was a WWE yeah, right. uh, late 80s promo with Ted DiBiase. And yep. Floyd Mayweather improved to 50-0, and beating the vastly overmatched Conor McGregor. Um, yeah. I, I saw some things on Twitter. You know, Bill Simmons tweeted that McGregor gave a better effort than he thought he would and things like that. But this was the difference between a boxer and a fighter. It was. It was. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think people who expected it to, to be a, uh, you know, a first-round knockout are, are like the same people who get wigged out when, you know, uh, the number five team in the country is winning seven to nothing at the end of the first quarter. Like, the game is four quarters for a reason, uh, and the boxing matches are 12 rounds for a reason. You know, you don't have to come in and knock the guy out in the first round. And that's not ever been Mayweather's style. Certainly in his prime, you know, he's a he's a offensive fighter. He's not a guy who comes out and, you know, throws haymakers like Mike Tyson and knocks you out in 15 seconds. Doesn't happen. So I think that expectation was unrealistic, and, you know, he wore him down. Um, I, I, you know, was able to catch a little bit of the ninth and 10th rounds. And McGregor was just sucking wind. I mean, he looked like me when we used to go play football, you know, by the by the 45-minute mark. And, you know, he's just he was wobbling. You could just tell. He just didn't have the endurance built up to box like Mayweather does. Yeah, and look, for Mayweather, this is another huge payday, which hopefully will take oh, care yeah. of his tax problems. And <laughs> we we will see him again, I assume, the next time he has a big financial need to fight. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I hope we don't see him again because, you know, people who know boxing a lot better than I um, watched that last night and said, boy, you saw a lot of age and, and signs of age and slippage. And, and that's going to happen. I mean, it happens with just about every athlete. Uh, you know, and, and I hope he, he knows that it's time to go away. We'll see, you know, boxers are usually, uh, among all sports, boxers are among the worst at realizing it's time to go away. So, uh, it's hard to believe for sure he has, but you know, I kind of hope he does. I mean, I hope he's done. Um, I, I didn't, as you and I have talked about, I didn't like the way that the fight was promoted. I didn't like the way that um, they tried to generate interest. And right. what I'm really hoping is that if he's really done, we can stop having this conversation and turn back to the heavyweights, you know, see what happens with Anthony Joshua with the, you know, the number of Eastern European fighters. Yeah. And, and hopefully boxing returns to being a heavyweight-dominated sport. Yeah, I mean, what, what boxing needs more than anything is compelling personalities. You know, individual sports... Boxing, golf, tennis, they, they're at their strongest when they're strong personalities, and boxing has just been lacking, um, and it's just been getting worse. I mean, when we were in high school and college, we thought, you know, boy, boxing's really lacking in big names. Well, now you compare it, like, man, it's really lacking in big names. Uh, you know, you look at that day as, as almost, uh, not the golden age, but better than now. Um, I told you when this fight got announced that it said something that, you know, the biggest fight we could come up with involved a guy who isn't a boxer against a retired guy whose prime was years ago. And and uh, it still does. It says something that that is the thing that generates interest and not, you know, a uh, match between guys who are actually in their prime. 
Yeah, I mean, boxing will always be there, similar to things like horse racing or croquet. Oh, sure. But, uh, sure. It's not going away. I mean, you know, we always predict the death of something. <laughs> you know, it's not going to die, but it's, it's certainly not nearly as strong as it once was, and it's, I don't even think it's as strong as when we were kids, which was far from the glory days, but, you know, it, it just continues to slip, I think. Yeah, and it's, like you said, it's going to take a big personality, and it's going to take a big American personality for yeah, to matter it is. here. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the sport is, you know, the golden age of the sport is, you know, Joe Lewis and Muhammad Ali and then Mike Tyson, and, you know, Mike Tyson's era didn't last very long due to uh, mostly his own flaws. Um, you know, those are the names that really, uh, you know, and, and then it's the other guys around them. I mean, it, you know, those, those guys rise the tides of others, you know, when you have that one compelling guy, I mean, it's, you know, it's like golf with Tiger Woods that increased the profile of Phil Mickelson and Ernie Els. You know, you need that one guy who makes the other guys seem stronger because they're trying to knock off the big guy. Yeah. And we, we just don't have that. No, we don't. And I don't know when we will. Um, you know, the guy who resonates to the average sports fan, it doesn't appear to be on the horizon. Now, I mean, I guess you never know. Things pop up and they sometimes surprise us. But, um, you know, it's been 30 years since Mike Tyson's prime, really. Uh, and, and there hasn't been anybody who's really stepped into that. I mean, I guess you'd say Mayweather, but far from lovable. Uh, you know, and, and that's, that's one of the things that really hurts is that you have this marquee guy who has now got this, you know, all time record. And I don't believe he's viewed with great acclaim. Uh, and, you know, and that, that hurts your sport when your top guy is mostly hated. And he, I I think that is fair. He is mostly hated. Um, Yeah. And, and, and hate, you know, hate can work for you. I mean, we've talked about this in relation to LeBron uh, you know, that, that, you know, the Dallas Cowboys, Notre Dame, you know, you want that, but you want, you want polarization. And with Mayweather, it's mostly on the hate side. It seems like, you know, there's not, there's not a lot of people that are, you know, all in on Mayweather. Uh, there's some, but there's not a lot of adulation for him to go along with that hate. Well, and the thing with boxing also is the, the near misses of the good stories, um, sure. You know, when Tyson Fury won the title in the heavyweight division and then had his drug problem uh, right. really spoil what could have been a nice little run for him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it just seems like, you know, really since the Tyson heyday, when that fell apart so fast, you know, with his first getting beat and then, you know, the, the jail time, which, you know, he came back from, but he was never really anywhere close to the same. Um, uh, you know, it just, we've been searching for that next big star and some guys have taken little runs at it. Oscar De La Hoya, uh, Mayweather, Pacquiao, Lennox Lewis, but nobody has resonated the way that a guy like Mike Tyson did that, that really sort of invigorates people who don't care about boxing, but they want to see that guy. Yeah. Well, that's enough on boxing. I'm over it. I'm done with boxing. Yeah. Let's yeah. talk about the thing that we want to talk about that we've really built whatever this brand is that we have. Yep. We've built it on ASU football previews and game recaps. And that's right. We're that's back. right. And it is time. It's time. You look at the calendar. It's Sunday. And what happens this week? An ASU football game. 
So ASU takes on the New Mexico State Aggies. Last year, the Aggies were 3-9. and nine. They were averaging offensively over 400 yards a game. This will be their final season in the Sun Belt Conference before they become an independent. And their offense uh, returns quarterback Tyler Rogers, who's on an extra year of eligibility, and Larry Rose III, who was a third-team All-American at running back last year. My expectation, because I did about two minutes of research before we started this call, is that the Aggies, good, actually. The, yeah. the Aggies are going to try to win this game in the trenches. They got a high number of linemen returning. They also returned nine defensive starters. And I want to start, Matt, talking about when ASU has the ball. Because the Aggies uh, returned nine defensive starters on a team that was allowing close to 500 yards a game. Yeah. And this is yeah. what I like to call the Matt Story conundrum. If you return a lot of bad <laughs> starters, what happens? Is that a good thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I... I tend to think more often than not, and I guess it depends on the age and circumstance, but more often than not, returning a bunch of guys from a bad team or a bad group doesn't result in leaps and bounds improvement. I mean, you know, you hope for some improvement, um, but, you know, generally you like some new faces, um, some guys stepping into roles, and that's one of the hopes I have about our secondary is there are a lot of new faces, and that's good because the familiar faces didn't get the job done, so... You know, let's at least give someone new a try. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I expect our offense to operate efficiently, and if it doesn't, it's going to worry me. I mean, yes, this is a game, and I, we've talked about games like this before. It's a game you can win but feel like you lost. You could you could leave there with more points on the board and win the game but leave feeling like losers, and I hope that's not the case. I mean, my expectation for this season to be anything close to what – I projected in our last podcast yeah, is that we have to be up comfortably going into the fourth and maybe they can scratch a couple of scores against our second and yeah. third string. But this, yeah. this is a game that we should win and win comfortably. I think offensively, offensively what I'm most interested in is just what do we do? What do we look like? What is right. Billy Napier trying to accomplish? Because this is a yeah. team that we should be able to – impose our will on which makes me think that we should be able to see at least the vanilla version of whatever kind of offense he wants to yep, run i agree and and we've heard a lot of of talk and so far that's all it can be but it has been talk uh that you know we want to you know todd graham has said when we get back to running the ball and having success doing that and we've heard a lot of talk about how good our running back core is and i think it is you know we have two seniors who have been very productive and a true freshman, two true freshmen who have gotten good buzz, one a lot. Uh, you know, I don't know if they'll both play this year. Certainly, you know, Benjamin looks like a lot to play. So plenty of guys to, to carry the ball. And this is a game I'd like to see them all get double-digit carries. You know, get up and, and then, you know, salt that game away. And, and like you said, impose your will by just running the ball and, and, you know, make sure they don't have the physicality to stop you. I think it's going to be interesting to see what Nick Ralston's role in the running back mm-hmm. game is because obviously he's been mostly absent from the media coverage, but the last yeah. two offensive coordinators have really liked him and they've fed him the ball in games, uh, meaningful games. Yeah. And, you know, but it seems everything indicates that Eno Benjamin has jumped him, and I'm wondering if this is right. just the infatuation with the new or if there's something well, specific. Well, I, I mean, there probably is some of that, but certainly I think you would you would say based on what we know of the guys and what we know isn't a lot on Eno Benjamin, but he's supposed to be a lot more talented. I mean, Nick Ralston 
is one of those guys who, you know, yeah, nice, nice story, overachiever. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, the comparison between, uh, you know, a Derek Glasser and, and a, uh, you know, what we hoped at least didn't quite work out this way, but was Jamel McMillan, where it was like, well, Derek Glasser's a nice player. He gets the most out of what he's got. But Jamel McMillan should be better. That didn't quite happen that way, but I think in this case that should be the, you know, Eno Benjamin is supposed to be really good, and if you're not going to redshirt him, you want to make it worthwhile. You know, Jeff Metcalf has been on that point several times in talking about, like, if you're, if you're not going to redshirt a guy, you, you don't want him to get, you know, 25 carries all season because then you look and say, boy, we wasted that year. So, you know, you got to get him the ball. Do I expect him to lead the team in carries? No, he shouldn't. But, you know, you want to get him enough touches and, and playing time that it's worth it that he played this year. I think that is true. I, you know, the other thing for me about this game that's going to be very interesting is what does the receiver core look like when the game is still in yeah. doubt, which I hope yeah. is not long. Uh, yeah, I'm hoping this is a first-half game. You know, I mean, I think, I, I think this, you know, you want this game to almost be like your third preseason game where you see, you see what the team's going to look like in the first half, and in the second half you're kind of just playing out the string and getting some younger guys some reps and getting them ready and not really having to play for the game necessarily. Yeah, it's going to really be interesting to see if we can build the big lead. And, and then on the other side, can the defense hold the big lead? Now, yeah. as you and I have talked about, New Mexico State is a run-first, run-heavy team, which helps because you would think a strength for ASU this year is going to be in its front right. seven. Yeah, it's got to be. And with that, I you know, their offensive line is probably – the best part of their team. I mean, the running game, uh-huh. Larry Rose, and, and the offensive line. Yeah. But our defensive line should be a strength. Between Smallwood and Wicker, mm-hmm. uh, immediately you assume that that is good. And then there's you know another possible freshman starting on the defensive line with Foreman. Yeah. Uh, yep. There's a question of, you know, will he supplant George Lee right. in the rotation? Seems like he has, at least right now, yeah. You know, but I want to see that, and I want to see how they do against a line that, while talented and and good for the Sun Belt, should sure. be dominated. Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is this is a team that's picked to finish at or near the bottom of the Sun Belt, and and so you need to if, if you're going to finish middle of the pack, which I think is, you know, a a realistic high end goal. I mean, you know, like look, if the season unfolds a different way and. By the end of October, we're talking about winning the South or getting to a major bowl. That'd be great. But right now, I think you're looking to finish top half. Uh, you'd feel good if you finish in the top half of the conference somehow. you got to be much, much better than a bottom-tier Sunbelt team. And so this is, you know, as we talked about last week, this is the game to iron out the kinks and get it right, uh, you know. And, and hopefully, like I said, in that second half, get some young guys some opportunities because they may be called upon later in the year to play big time, and you'd like to have them at least have some reps in a game like this. Absolutely. So, Matt, what what is it you are going to be looking for on Thursday night? What is it you want to see? Well, first and foremost, I want to see how the, how the secondary looks. I mean, I, we're not facing a great passing team. We're going to face many better ones. And so I'm not going to come out of that game no matter how good. I mean, we could, 
we could hold this team to zero total passing yards, and I'm still going to be reticent that, that this secondary is fixed. But I want to see how they look. I mean, that has been the Achilles heel of the last two years, especially last year. It is the biggest reason that we went five and seven and didn't go seven and five or eight and four. Um, and, and so that's the biggest thing. And then, you know, I, I'm anxious to see what Manny Wilkins looks like in the offense overall. Um, you know, like I said, are they committed to running the ball? Can they run it successfully? We didn't do that very well last year. Um, how do you spread the carries? And then you know, does has Manny Wilkins really taken ownership of this team like we hear? You know, now we finally get to see this team. We've done a lot of reading, a lot of talking, a lot of hearing secondhand reports. Now we finally get to see him play and see what's real and what's not. For me, I think offensively, what is Napier running? Mm-hmm. How does Manny fit into it? Does it seem like the system is built for um, a quarterback that's more mobile and more engaged in the running game like yeah. it has been in the past? Or did Manny really just beat out Blake Barnett on passing and leadership? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with you completely. I want to see how many quarterback runs we get. You know, I mean, and it, it's a game where you might not have to call that many. Um, but yeah, I'm very curious, you know, how much of a design is in our offense versus how many times maybe it's just a scramble, you know, an improvised run. How many times are we calling that? You know, I'm curious to see how that will be. The other thing I want to see, this is not a team that we should be out muscled and no, that means that the way we lose this game, if it comes to that is mental mistakes and turning the ball over. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, this is, again, I mean, I don't want to go in overconfident, but I almost have to because, again, if we if we believe this team can win seven more seven or more games, this has got to be the easiest one of all, I would think. So, you know, it's I've referred to this before. I think I said it last week. It's a red flag game. It's a game where you leave there with your kind of your list of, okay, what looks like a big concern? And the less you have on that list, the better you feel. I agree. I, you know, I want to see the, – the last thing that we haven't talked about that I want to see is I want to see the special teams in all phases. Sure. I want to know, are they going to have Bellage returning kicks? That seems yeah, to be asking a lot like of it. him with, if he's yeah. going to be a workhorse running back. Um, how does the punt game look? Who does the kickoffs? I assume it will be Ruiz, right. but I don't know. Um, right, right. They haven't committed to that. And how does the how does the snap hold kick execution on field goals and sure. extra points look? Yep, you're right. No, I mean it's it's like we've talked about. It's sort of a forgotten aspect thing, but it's not forgotten when it doesn't go well. So um, yeah, I mean overall, it's the first time we get to see this team since the spring game, and and the first time we get to see them in real competition since you know what last November. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of changes, you know, some new, new faces, some new coaches. Um, and, and so that's the fun part, you know, everything. I mean, uh, you know, you say, what's the thing you're looking forward to the most in some ways it's everything, you know, how does the quarterback look? How does the running game? How's the receiver core? You know, I mean, there's, there's not a group that I could say, yeah, I'm not that. I mean, like it's every group. I, I just want to see what we've got and, and, you know, get this thing going and, see you know after the 60 minutes of that game are done you know where how do we feel you know do we feel pretty good um again nothing's gonna happen that i'm gonna say oh boy you know let's get those let's get those airplane tickets to pasadena booked there's nothing that's gonna be that good but do we feel good 
or do we feel like, oh man, it's this is not good. We got a lot of things to fix before you know nine days later in the rest of the season. All right. Well, then let's talk about what we think will actually happen when you and I are sitting in section three on the ASU side. That's of right. Five. That's right. Yes. Um, for me, I think that the way you described it earlier as a first half game is my expectation. I, I'm assuming that by the end of the first half, we're up something in the vicinity of 35 to seven or 35 to three. Something like that. But I, yeah. but I'm going to yeah. say it tightens up in the second half with our second and third team in. So I, I'm predicting ASU 45, 24. That's not much different from me. I was going to go 51, 21. I'm going to say uh, three field goals in there. I want to, you know, and think the offense maybe stagnates a couple times in the red zone and we need to get Brandon Ruiz some, some reps out there. I kind of want to see him, you know, I mean, I don't want to see him kick seven field goals, but you know, we, we want to see him uh, before the pressure really starts. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking something like that. I think hopefully we'll, we'll come out and um, you know, what I'm hoping is, you know, first three, four drives right down the field, uh, you know, three touchdowns and a field goal, something like that to open the game, you know, just, just get out, set the tone. You're going to dominate game, force a turnover or two. And then, yeah, probably in that second half, you get that malaise, you get some guys who have never played before and, and will make some mistakes, you know, and give up some points. And I'm hoping for that type of game. So let's quickly run through the other big games of the weekend. I think, that it's unquestionable that the biggest game is Alabama-Florida State, but we're going to save that one to the end. Um, The one that you added to the list, which I was not prepared to talk about, but I I want to now, is is let's talk about Texas A&M-UCLA so that Greg Powell can know when we see him on Thursday that we care a lot about how he feels. Uh, What do you expect to see in this game? Well, I'm very anxious to see how the UCLA offense looked with Rosen. I mean, last year was a, was a rough go, um, even when he was healthy. And then certainly, you know, second half of the year, he missed the whole, missed, you know, I think the last six games after the game here. Um, so I'm really anxious to see what they do. Um, it's at UCLA, and, you know, it was a close game last year. Texas A&M ended up winning. I, I might have gone to overtime, if I'm remembering correctly. I know it came down to the end. Um, I would expect UCLA to win. Uh, if they're going to have the overachieving type of season, I think they can have. I think I picked them to finish second in the in the South. Um, you know, I think this is a game they should win, and and maybe Rosen makes a little bit of a statement that hey, don't forget about me. You know, a lot of talk about Sam Darnold, a lot of talk about this guy and that guy, but you know, I've I've been there, and I'm still here. UCLA is favored by three and a half for this game. I think that. It's going to take electrifying plays from AM. Now, they have a guy who can do it. Um, mm-hmm. And in fact, I have him getting to New York for the Heisman. You do. Uh, you do, yes. Not, not winning, but getting there because I think that it's games like this. You know, it's a Sunday night game, it's on Fox. They're, they're going right. to have attention. There's a chance that Christian Kirk could do something special in this game that merits all of the hype that I'm providing. Sure. And, and me alone. No one else is saying Christian Kirk's going to have a good year. Everyone else is down on him except for me. I'm a genius. Everyone else is a moron. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't say everybody's down on him, but I will give you credit. You're, I have not heard him mentioned for the Heisman many other places, if any. But you know what? That is, that is the pick you should make. I mean, recent history tells you pick a guy who isn't among the favorites because that's the guy who captures the imagination. And 
And, you know, so I, I will give you credit. You, you've taken him and gone out on a limb with him, and I like it. I think that UCLA is going to win this game, but I think that you will see special plays out of A&M and out of Christian Kirk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it'll be an interesting one. I, like I said, I, you know, I think, uh, you know, the A&M offense is usually pretty good. You know, I don't know who their quarterback's going to be to start off with. Um, but, you know, I'm really interested in how the UCLA offense looks, you know. A lot of people think very highly of Jed Fish as an offensive coach, and I'm I'm hoping that he can finally, you know, settle things down and have a great year with Rosen because it's probably his last year there, and you don't want to feel like if you're a UCLA fan, I'm not necessarily, but I appreciate good players. You don't want to feel like a guy spent three years there and you did nothing with him, and so far they haven't done much with him. Yeah, yeah. So next game that we should talk about is Michigan and Florida, a battle of two top 20 teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Michigan's favored to win by a field goal, three and a half in some places. Uh, you know, it'll be a fun game. It'll, I'm it curious will. to see if Florida's going to have an offense this year. That's the big question, and it's been the question for a few years now. Um, you know, since the must-champ years, and, and, you know, McElwain has done well there. In two years there, he's been to the SEC title game both times. But the offense has struggled, and once again, they're kind of, you know, uncertainty at quarterback. Is it Malik Zaire? Is it Felipe Franks? Is it Luke Del Rio? Is it some combination of all three? He's being very vague. You know, good, good see all three of them play. I'd be surprised if that's the case, but maybe he's tried that. Um, it'll, be, it'll be interesting, and we don't know anything about Michigan. We don't even know their roster. Uh, you know, they, they uh, you know, Jim Harbaugh is the most secretive guy in the world, apparently. He doesn't even release the roster until they're going to come out on the field on Saturday. So um, that should be fun to see. Uh, you know, they got a lot of new faces there, but some very talented players that are just, you know, getting increased roles. Um, so it'll be a fun one. Yeah. Harbaugh, and we could have brought this up with Jim Mora, but the two of them are, <laughs> are the two most paranoid coaches. I know. Um, I know. And, yeah. and I, mean, I, I, I love Harbaugh, but the no roster thing is absurd. Yeah. Well, and I take to heart the argument Doug Haller was making on his podcast the last few weeks about, yeah. you know, the lack of access is going to hurt the fans because. Yeah, it is. You know, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a different world. And he's said this. It's a different world in Michigan compared to ASU. You know, you, you. You tell Michigan fans no access, and they're just thirsting for more. You tell ASU fans no access, and they say, all right, see you later. You know, I mean, it's different. Uh, you know, they'll clamor for more. The less you give them, the more they want um, because they love Michigan football, and they love Jim Harbaugh, and he could do anything he wants uh, as far as that kind of stuff goes, and nobody's going to rebel. Um, but, yeah, it, it's it's just to the point of absurdity when you're not putting a roster up. That's that's a line I didn't think we would get to, but we're here now. Yeah. And I, I hope that everyone thinks this is crazy and no one follows suit. My fear is that teams will say, well, if they don't have to do it, I don't have yeah, to do exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, you and I think have talked about this. I know I've talked about it with others. Um, I think we're coming to the point soon enough where there's going to be a coach who says, players do not talk. I am the only voice of the program. Um, because it's not like the NFL where there are, you know, mandatory media obligations. There's not in college. And all it's going to take is one coach like a Jim Harbaugh, like a Nick Saban, to say, you know what? You don't get to talk to my players. You don't get to talk to my assistants. I am the only voice you will hear from. And that's it. And really, what can you do? There, there's nothing. 
unless the NCAA comes down and becomes like the NFL and mandates these yeah. things. And they could, but I, you know, who who's going to stand up to Nick Saban? I mean, not up, not anybody at Alabama, certainly. Um, probably not anybody in the SEC, you know. And I don't know if it would be, but he's the type of coach who could do it. He's got the the you know the weight behind him that he could say, you know, my players are off limits. We're already getting a lot of coaches who make freshmen off limits, or who you know, we're seeing it here. Nikhil Harry hasn't talked to the media since last year. Uh, you know, so you hear, you know, it's just a matter of time before a coach decides, why am I making just some players off limits? How about everybody? Well, and Nikhil Harry, I mean, he really only got to talk to the media for like a week because, right, they, right. <laughs> you know, they spent right, much of yes. last year not letting him talk and then he could. Yeah. And that was it. And then now he's yeah. can't again. Yeah. I mean, you know, we saw last year the, you know, the number one team in the country for the entire season, the quarterback didn't speak to the media the whole year because there were, you know, no freshmen talking. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's just a matter of time, I think, before we get there. But anyway, I've gotten far afield here. Um, to the game aspect, it still should be fun, regardless of the paranoia that Jim Harbaugh has. He's always entertaining, and his teams are always good, and it should be a fun game to see. I'm taking Florida in the upset. I think that... The, I think Florida's yeah. defense is really good, and, and I think they win this. They game. are, and I and I said I thought Michigan was a team that I think will have a, a bit of a bumpy start to the year and be much better by the end. I'm going to take them in this game because of the suspensions surrounding Florida. Uh, that offense, which is already a question mark, doesn't have Antonio Callaway, um, so I'm going to go Michigan there. But it, it's a toss-up game to me. And then the last uh, top 25 game before we get to Alabama, Florida State is. West Virginia, Virginia Tech. Um, this is this to me is in the I care because it's opening week and they're two top twenty-five teams, but not a game I'm jacked to see because these are not two teams I care deeply about. No, no. I mean, I, I will say I think West Virginia has a chance to be maybe a little better than people are thinking. Um, I, I like Will Greer a lot. I think I told you that when we talked about the Big Twelve that I thought he's a guy who could make a big impact this year. Um, and Virginia Tech's always a solid team. You know, they're some years better than others, but they're always good, and they're all, it's a tough place to play. So it'll be a fun game to watch, too. I mean, it's a unique matchup. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take Virginia Tech because they're at home, but that's it. That's my whole round. Now, as I look at it, and I just said tough place to play, it appears this is at FedEx Field. So it's not actually played at Blacksburg. Yeah, but it's much closer. I mean, it's not. It is. It is. Yeah, yeah I, 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 did, I thought it was actually at Virginia Tech. Um, which that's going to sway my pick. I'm going to go West Virginia because it's not actually in Blacksburg. But winning at Virginia Tech is very difficult. Um, since it's neutral site, I'm going to go with the Will Greer. Uh, speaking of Florida, trying to find a quarterback. Thought they had one a couple years ago, and then he ended up getting suspended. Now he's at West Virginia. So I'm going to continue to ride that train. And then the last game is the Chick-fil-A kickoff game presented by Wells Fargo in association with Bob Arum's top-ranked promotions and the money <laughs> team, along with Golden Boy Promotions, uh, Alabama, Florida State. And this is the, you know, this is the game that got all the hype. This was circled on everyone's calendar yeah. from the moment that Alabama lost in the title game. Um, you give Nick Saban eight months to prepare, he's going to win the game. So I'm taking Alabama. <laughs> All right. Well, you know I'm taking Florida State. I, I'm, uh, I've been on them since about eight months ago, maybe a little even longer than that. Um, 
you know, I just I think they got the defense to play with anybody. Uh, I'm, I'm, their offensive line worries me a little, and that could be the element that, that handicaps this season for them. Um, but I think their defense is going to be one of the best, if not the best in the country. I think DeAndre Francois is going to get better. Uh, keep an eye on Cam Akers, a new name to the scene, true freshman. I think uh, he'll be a big, big factor for them at the running back spot, you know, replacing Dalvin Cook. Uh, but it's going to be a fun game. I mean, you know, it's two of the marquee brands in college football, and it's it's the type of game that, you know, you love to see uh, at this time of year. And there's there's some even better ones in week two, I think, or, or more better ones, I should say, more variety. This is the highlight game for sure of week one. Yeah. It's, uh, it's going to be exciting, and – I'm glad they scheduled it, and I'm glad that it's going to give yeah. us a media narrative of, see, top teams should play each other early in the yeah, year. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, probably regardless of outcome, neither team is, is eliminated from anything. I mean, we've seen teams overcome early season losses, even last year late season losses, to get into the playoffs. Washington and Clemson both lost late here. Ohio State lost in October. They were all in. Um, and, and certainly a loss in a game like this should not handicap you at all. Uh, uh, you know, now if it's a blowout happened to USC last year, that's where it hurts you. Um, I don't expect that. I think this will be a pretty darn good game, very competitive, and and the loser will still be very much in the thick of things. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be fun. I think that the loser still stays top five. And uh, I, I would think. I mean, I, like I said, unless it's a route, if it's a you know. 42 to 14 game then you know that probably but I, I just, I'd be surprised if that's the case I think these are two of the best teams in the country uh, with a lot of veterans and good coaches and I, I just would shock me if it's if it's not a close game in the fourth quarter so you don't think it's going to be like when Alabama played SC last year I don't I mean, obviously, you don't think Alabama is going to win, but you don't think it's going to no, get blown no, out either. But I, yeah, I mean, if they do, I, I mean, I'd be very. UB wasn't at this level. I mean, USC by the end of the year was a very good team, um, and and you know could have probably had a much different game with Alabama if they played them in December as compared to the first week of September. Um, but they weren't they weren't ready for that yet. Clay Helton was you know in his first game as the full time coach. They hadn't gone to Sam Darnold, which made a big difference, obviously. This Florida State team is is where they should be. I mean, you know, Jimbo Fisher's been saying it. He's been, you know, he's not a man of hype. And he's been saying this team is ready. They're ready to contend. So, you know, you get a chance to prove it right off the bat. Yeah, it should be fun. But you know what's most fun, Matt? It's like college football's back. It is. It is. It's great. Yesterday was a uh, – wonderful appetizer uh there weren't you know many great games uh or many games at all but it was just nice to see you know some recognizable brands oregon state south florida stanford you know getting underway and and now we get the full meal starting on thursday games thursday friday saturday sunday monday it's gonna be fun it's gonna be amazing i'm really excited that i'm gonna get to be there with you for the asu home opener me too I don't think we've done a home opener sitting together since freshman year. So uh, yeah, you're probably right. I think so because I uh, I covered the for the state press the next couple years, and then yeah, by senior year I was been for ASU. So yeah, yeah, you're right. It's been quite a while. Last one might have been uh, UTEP in 2004, quarterbacked by. Do you remember? Jeez, Andrew Walter. Well, ASU was. Do you remember who UTEP's quarterback was? 
Oh, no. No idea. Recog- somewhat recognizable name. His brother plays in the NFL. Jordan Palmer. Oh. Well, all right. Yeah. Did not remember that now, at all. Now quarterback coach Jordan Palmer. But, uh, yeah, he was the starter for UTEP way back in the day, our first game as ASU students. Well, I will equally not be able to remember in a decade who the starting quarterback for New Mexico State was. <laughs> Probably uh, not, yeah, but I'll be there to remind you. I, and that's what makes this work, Matt. Yes, yes. So we will be back late Thursday night. We're going to record after the game about what happened and some feedback. Between then and now, oh, we have to talk about food. I promised that we would talk about food. We're going to talk about food real quick. That's right. That's right. Okay. Thursday lunch, Dave's Doghouse. Yes. Joined by friend of the pod, Greg Powell. Yes. And that's going to be fun. Yes. Then a little tour around campus, dropping way too much money at the bookstore. (laughs) Possibly a mid-afternoon nap because it's going to be – I'm not heat adjusted, so I don't know how I'm going to feel. But we'll see. Uh, Yeah. Staying at the lovely Tempe Mission Palms, which I've never been inside of, but the outside looks nice. Very Uh, nice. Uh, Well, I haven't been there for many, many years, but I stayed there a few times uh, with parents when I was a kid in a nice hotel, if I recall. But then, Matt, we got to figure out the main event, the dinner. We do. We do, yes. Our old standby was Corleone's, which is no longer on Mill Avenue. They have other other places now, but the, the location that we fell in love with is no more. The, True. The same can be said for IHOP, which is a far cry from Corleone's, but the original IHOP, which we ate at before many a football I game, know. is also gone. It's gone. Now, there is another one. They've ripped, you know, they moved it to rural and university, so that's an option if you'd like to do that, but it will be the same. You're right. So that leaves us with two classics. Yes. Chompies on university or the yes. Chuck Box, which is on university on campus. Now, Correct. Now, you pointed out, and rightly so, that the Chuck Box is very warm. That's not the exact yes. phrase you used, but... It's it, hot. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah, it's hot. And it's hot outside in August, so that's a factor. The other option, Chompies, it's a drive. It's, it, it requires it, us to drive, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so there's there's uh, downsides to both, but plenty of upsides as well. If I could crowdsource this a little bit, if you're listening and you've made it through the first 35-plus minutes of this and you have a strong opinion on Chompies v. Chuckbox, yeah. please let us know. Text, email, send a regular yeah. letter, but you're going to have to send it by overnight mail because I'm gone. That's I'm right. out of town That's right. starting on Tuesday morning. Correct. But or, let, or if you've got another option for us on Mill. Yeah. As we've discussed, we're open to other suggestions. Yeah, I am wide open to any suggestion that is between Mill and McClintock and between Rio Salado yes. and Apache. It can be on yep. it can be on either side of Apache or either side of Rio Salado, but I'm not going another block. Correct, way. correct. <laughs> yeah. I think in that space we've got a lot of options that we can find something good. And I'm, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Subway RIP to our original uh, Subway location. Uh, and even the second one now. I mean, our replacement Subway location is now gone as well. I don't know how college kids at ASU are going to survive without the two-for-one Subway coupons with a Subway that was right across the street from the campus. Not the same. I know it. I know it. It's devastating. Not only is that one gone, but the replacement and the two bookstores on both sides of the replacement 
that whole shopping center is, is deserted now, which is quite sad. We spent a lot of time at those places. And, yeah, time marches on. It's the way it is, but it's unfortunate. Well, we'll be there. We're going to explore. There's going to be some wandering. Even yes, if it's we hot, we're going to wander around. You can, ca- exactly. you can catch us with Greg Powell at the doghouse around 1245. You can catch Matt and I sitting at the old journalism school pretty much any time. <laughs> uh, Probably somewhere around 1.30 or 2, <laughs> potentially when lunch is over. Yes. But we'll be back with a recorded episode post-game talking about it. It'll either go up Thursday night or Friday morning. Until then, he's Matt. I'm Ben. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast.